Good morning, everybody. Uh, this is the first time that I'm getting to speak to you in this new year uh, due to taking a Sunday off and Nisha being sick uh, for the last really 10, 12 days. I've had to keep my distance a little bit from everybody. Um, I know that it's been said several times in several different places, but never have I heard people talk about a new year uh, with as much hope as I've heard people talking about this year, 2021. And of course, this is because 2020 was a difficult and challenging year in so many different ways for us. It really felt like two to three years strung together uh, and just the longest 12 months uh, that many of us have ever experienced. So as 2020 was drawing to a close, our eyes turned to 2021, a time where we would begin to put the things of 2020 behind us and start moving in what we hoped would be a more positive direction. Uh, with the vaccine coming out, we could start to get the pandemic under control and perhaps life could return to a more normal pattern. I don't know if you remember what normal looks like, but it sounds good. Normal sounds good. Uh, the election season would be over, and whether you were happy with the results or not, we would move forward into the next season here in our country, perhaps entering a time of greater peace and unity. And I heard, and this can't be confirmed, that we would also have flying cars in 2021, uh, maybe by the middle of March. Well, 2021 has not really started out this way. What, with the scenes that we have seen over the last two weeks, we've become even more divided as a country. People are getting sick. There is still a lot of fear and anxiety about what is going to happen. And flying cars seem like an empty promise that I just made up for this illustration. All of this reinforces a lesson that we know, but maybe need to be reminded of. And that is this. Time will, in fact, change and heal a lot of things that we experience in our lives and the world around us. But if we are looking for real change in our lives or in the world that we live in, we cannot wait for the world around us to make that change happen. This is just as true this year as it has ever been. Yes, 2020 was a rough year, and yes, we hope that 2021 will be better, but what are we going to do to make 2021 better? Uh, now, this question has two areas of application that I want us to think about this morning. How can we improve ourselves personally, spiritually, and how can we as a church make a positive dent in the world around us? Now, I have not historically been a very goal-oriented person. Uh, this is not to say that I don't ever set goals or that I think goals are unimportant, uh, but I tend to not make resolutions for myself every year or have any sort of big overarching sweeping goals for myself. Several years ago, I uh, started going to a gym for the first time and decided I was going to work out, and I had a free meeting with a trainer. And... When I met with this trainer at the gym, the first question he asked me is what my goals were. So I told him, well, you know, I've never really worked out before, so I'd like to just have some more upper body strength. Uh, I'd just like to be stronger. Uh, that was not a good enough goal for him. So he asked me a few other questions, and I was giving, you know, the same kind of vague answers. So he asked me, if you go to the beach and take your shirt off, what do you want people to think? 
Well, I kind of just laughed to that question because it was something I really didn't care about at all. This frustrated him even more. So he finally got that I just needed some general guidance, and so he showed me some things to do. But for a guy whose job it was to help people set goals and then meet those goals, I was a little bit of a frustrating client. Now, this year, I did not set any huge goals for myself, uh, but I did make some small decisions to help me get my physical health back in a better place. Uh, I've been struggling with my arthritis. It's pretty bad in my hands and sometimes in my feet. Uh, I have these cool fingerless gloves that I wear sometimes to uh, keep my fingers warm and to help them you know, not get so stiff. Uh, the cold and the wet makes it pretty tough for me a lot of times. But I decided that I needed to reset my system as a whole. So I did a three-day juice cleanse this last week. So for three days, I drank this green juice uh, multiple times a day and just had a kale salad twice, I guess, and, and some raw vegetables. Uh, it was not always a pleasant experience, but I toughed my way through it. And I was amazed by how something small, which I know it's not super small, but still something small uh, had a really positive effect on my health. My hands didn't hurt as much. Uh, I lost a little bit of weight. And generally, uh, generally, I feel better than I did before I did this cleanse. So it goes to show that while my big picture you know, idea of what a goal would be would be to get myself into peak physical shape, I learned from this that just doing something small, just resetting some things, just getting some things back to where they need to be can make a huge difference in how I feel and how effective I am as a human living on this planet. Well, I need to make spiritual goals for myself as well. I, I do think it's important, uh, it, primarily because in a year that was as mentally and emotionally taxing as this last year was, it is not really a surprise that we would be limping into this new year a little bit spiritually. And as we already noted, the world has not stopped being as stressful or as demanding as it was. In my life, and I suspect that the same may be true for you, what I need to do is I need to reclaim space for God. Because some of the space that is God's in my life has been overrun by uh, worry or fear or stress or uncertainty and everything else that has come with living in this super chaotic world. This is true for me individually, and it's true for us as a church. Just from a church leadership perspective, it's been hard to have plans and goals when we have are kind of never sure what the next week is going to be. And, and it's been hard to know how to set goals for growth when we don't even know what we are going to be able to do. There is a challenge that comes with setting spiritual goals. Uh, maybe you see this, or maybe you don't. Maybe it's something you've never thought about. But when we make spiritual goals for ourselves, or especially for the church as a whole, we can tend to want to set really big goals. Uh, I want our church to double in size. I want us to have a big effect on our community where we become really important to everybody. Uh, I want to see all of Santa Rosa come to know Jesus. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with these big goals. Big goals can be really good, and we do, after all, want the whole world to come to know Jesus. 
And on top of that, we need to be dreamers because our God is much bigger than we oftentimes allow him to be in our lives. But at a time like this, I understand that these big goals, while they can be good, they can also be really difficult to realize. We want to have big spiritual goals, but it occurs to me that in my quest for these big goals, what if God is calling me to something else, something smaller first? Now, I know I just said a bad word. I said small. Small sounds bad. Small does not sound like how people who have a big God should talk. And I hear you, but at the same time, when it comes to God, it is often the small things that lead to bigger things. And in our quest for big, we can't ignore the small. Matthew chapter 13 tells the story of small things. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up there today. Now, the, the first 30 verses of Matthew chapter 13 tells the story of seeds. A sower went out and sowed seed into all different kinds of soil in verses 1 through 23. Some fell on the path, some fell on rocky soil, some fell among weeds, and some soil was good and ready for the seed. The seed grew into something in the good soil while it died in the other places. And the purpose of this parable, as Jesus later explains, is that there are different kinds of people who represent the different kinds of soil. Some people accept the seed of the kingdom of God, and others don't. So our lives can be a healthy place for the kingdom to grow, allowing for a strong and healthy kingdom, or our lives can be a place where the kingdom cannot grow for a variety of reasons. For various reasons, the soil may not be ready to receive the seed of the kingdom of God. There is also an issue, Jesus says, with weeds in verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. You see, God is not the only one planting seeds. The evil one is also sowing seeds, and these seeds that he is sowing are actually weeds. And these weeds are being sown among the good seed of the kingdom. The weeds will grow up at the same time as the wheat, the product of the kingdom. And because the two are intertwined and growing so closely together, they cannot be separated until it's time for the harvest. So now we have the people of the kingdom growing up besides what Jesus calls the people of the evil one in verse 38. And what's different about this parable from the previous one is that it's actually not the soil that makes the difference. It is the kind of seed that is planted. The soil, it seems, is ready for growth, but it will grow different things based on the type of seed that is planted there. Thus, the growth of the kingdom is going to be in competition with growth in the kingdom of the evil one. And it won't all be sorted out until the end of times. These illustrations, these parables, both show that the kingdom starts as something that is really small and that it will grow in the right places. It won't grow in the wrong places, but even if it is in the right place, its growth will be challenged by another kingdom that is trying to grow at the same time. Now, 
As much as it might be tempting for us to focus on all the factors that can allow for healthy growth, which these parables illustrate really effectively, there is something else that sticks out to me. And it's the idea of the seed, that the kingdom of God is this seed that is planted. It starts out small and then it grows into something bigger than what it is, but still in competition with other things. And, and why that really sticks in my head is that in these parables, the kingdom of God is not some great giant tree that is transplanted into the soil. The kingdom starts as a seed and it grows into whatever it is going to become in our lives. And there are many factors which help determine healthy growth, but it always starts out small and becomes something more. It starts out as a small individual seed and grows to be the kingdom. And this might be a thought that we need to correct. Because if we are to say that we are going to set goals for the kingdom of God in the world, don't we want for it to be the tree that is put into the soil? But that's not what Jesus says happens. It starts as something small and grows into something bigger. But wait, things get smaller. From Matthew 13, verses 31 through 32. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Even though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, Jesus' use of the mustard seed here was not of his own invention. Rabbis used the mustard seed as a proverbial object to denote the smallest possible amount or size of something. There was nothing smaller within their frame of reference that they could use. So Jesus was using an example that they were to understand is the smallest possible seed. And this tiny seed is planted, but when it grows, it becomes something much bigger than what you think it would be. Mustard plants, uh, I don't think I've ever actually seen one, but they usually look more like large bushes than small trees. But they can grow to be 10 or 12 feet, which is pretty big, enabling birds to nest in their branches. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It starts out as something small, the smallest thing that you can think of, and it grows into something that is big. But again, here's something that's interesting to me. The choice of the mustard plant. Uh, in the Old Testament, you often hear references to the cedars of Lebanon because of their height, circumference, and strength, and because there wasn't really anything around to compare to them the cedar was considered to be one of the best physical examples of strength itself. And so they were often used as a comparison point for the strength of God and his people. Look at Psalm 92, verses 12 through 13. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like, the, like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. So you see, these big, powerful trees were often used to illustrate what God is like, what his people are like, what the kingdom is like. But in this case, Jesus does not use the cedar. He uses the example of a mustard plant, which is, yes, very large 
for a garden plant, but is much smaller and a very different kind of thing than a cedar. You would not even call the mustard plant a tree next to a cedar. It would be a shrub. Now, obviously, Jesus is making a point that even from the smallest seed, a large plant can grow, the biggest in the garden, perhaps. But this thing that has grown isn't the biggest thing, at least not as we understand big things. It's a great plant, but it's not a cedar. And I know in my life, when I think about spiritual goals, I want the cedar. And it's great that God can cause great growth from something so small, but there are still bigger things out there. And isn't it, doesn't God want me to have the cedar and not the mustard plant? While we may want the biggest things, and while God may want us to dream for some big things, we cannot lose sight of what Jesus is saying. That small things, if they are growing in the kingdom or growing the kingdom, can make a huge difference even if it doesn't become the biggest thing. For Matthew 13, 33, he still told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. You see, a baker can mix tiny amounts of yeast into large batches of dough. In this case, dough that was comprised of 60 pounds of flour. That yeast is greatly outnumbered and a small, small part of the whole, and yet it can cause the whole loaf to rise. Small things can make a huge difference. A small seed can become the largest plant in the garden. A little bit of yeast can make the whole batch rise. And in both of these examples, we have to remember the small thing is the kingdom of God. Neither of these parables present the kingdom of God as being an earth-conquering force. Instead, they present it as being an earth-changing force. Neither one of these parables sets out huge goals for what the kingdom is. Instead, they set a picture of growth coming from something small, a planted seed, a little bit of yeast, and becoming something much bigger. Maybe not the biggest thing ever. But what may not look like much to the world will, in fact, fulfill all of God's promises and change what the world is. The kingdom, after all, is not likened to a huge palace filled with jewels, likes of which no one has ever seen before. Instead, it is a pearl of great price, a tiny object, a, a treasure hidden in a field from verses 44 through 45. It may be small, but just because it's small, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have immeasurable worth. And this brings us back around to what kind of spiritual goals we should make. And here is the principle that I want to keep in front of us. Bigger things in the kingdom are predicated on small things in us. That everything starts from a seed. And in our quest to become a mighty cedar, we might not see the mustard plant that God is calling us to be. In our quest to become a mustard plant, we cannot forget that the kingdom 
in us starts as the smallest of seeds and grows into what God wants it to be. We may not take over the world and conquer it as we think we should, but even a little bit of the kingdom can make the whole batch of dough rise. We cannot grow into a world-changing mustard plant if we are not practicing the small things that will grow the kingdom of God in us. So this morning, I call us back to the small things, the little things that make us who we are and that grow the kingdom within each of us. So as we start this year, I would like for us to set goals for ourselves. I want us to reclaim the space in our lives where God has been pushed out and to put him back into those places. And we are going to do this by focusing on the small practices that lead to bigger growth. So we're going to look at four things over the next month or so. Silence, study, prayer, and fasting. We want growth this year, but we must prepare ourselves, prepare the ground for the growth that God has in mind. So as we get ready to look at these tools and how to use them, there are some things I would like for you to consider this week. Number one, are there things that you need to leave behind in order to become the soil that God wants you to become? Is there fear, anger, bitterness, hurt, anxiety? Things that you need to name before God. Now look, I know that in some of your lives, you are facing loss and sorrow that is not going to go away anytime soon. And it's okay to still be working through those things. But my suggestion is, let's name what is a part of our soil and not pretend that it's not there. Secondly, if you were to set a spiritual goal for yourself this year, what would it be? What are the things that you want to see happen in your life? What are the areas that need to be reclaimed? And lastly, let's pray together this week about being open to what God has for us, no matter what it is. For the one thing that we are assured of throughout Scripture is that God has plans for us, that God has a purpose for us, that He has a way for us, and we want to journey together to find that way, that purpose, both in our own lives and together as a church, so that we can become the peace of the kingdom that God needs us to be in this place. So let's do these things together this week. Let's ask these questions. Let's pray these prayers so that as God sows the kingdom in us, it will grow from the smallest of things into something that does make a difference in this world. We're going to take communion here together. And it is here in communion that we look at another small thing. For you see, Jesus, though we know he was the king, he was not the king that the world expected. He was not the great, glorious, grand, conquering warrior. Instead, he was a humble servant from poor family, living homeless, relying on the kindness of other people spending time with those who were hurt and disenfranchised and put aside, healing the sick, loving those who 
had no one to love them. And in communion this morning, we recognize that though Jesus did not appear as the king that the world would have expected or wanted, that he was a king who was much greater than that. He was the king that God envisioned, the king that his kingdom needed. And so this morning as we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we are celebrating that Jesus is, was, and always will be the king that we need the lover of our souls, the redeemer of our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for the small things that make a huge difference. God, we are grateful that you take our small efforts and make something from them. God, we are grateful that you didn't send to us the king that we desired, but you sent the king we needed. And as we celebrate this time here together, we thank you for the redemption that comes through the body and blood of your son. In his name we pray, amen.